Hello, I'm Glyn Fussell and welcome to We Can Be Heroes. In this podcast, I get to know creative misfits, underdogs, wild rebels, and those people who have stuck one giant middle finger up to society and live life their way. I cannot wait to introduce you to some people who embody what it means to be absolute champions. So prepare yourself as we dive in and meet some amazing individuals who have inspired, stood up for change and say, I am here. Today's hero is an all-singing, all-dancing, gorgeous human being. He is the star of the show and has played lead character roles in the biggest West End musicals. Out of the spotlight, he is an advocate for change against racial discrimination, as well as educating school kids on LGBTQ plus issues. All of that, and he is still so fresh-faced. It is the effervescent force of nature... Leighton Williams. Hello, what an intro. Can I have this every single morning yeah, when I wake up, you, please? You sure can. It's fresh face for me. I'll take that. Well, you look very fresh face today. Where have you come from? Oh, just a little glow, you know, a little pop to LA as you've been new. Um, and yeah, I touched down a couple of days ago, so I've still got that little LA glow. You have got a glow. Talking of glowing, uh-huh. I met you through mutual friends mm-hmm. and I was aware of you because I think you make yourself very well known and that's a great thing but when I first met you I was absolutely blown away by your confidence oh yeah I feel that you radiate and it's not arrogance you radiate a level of confidence that just lights up a room so where did that come from Oh, thank you. Um, I'm glad you said the, b- the thing about arrogance as well, because I feel like some people do get it very twisted between like confidence and cockiness. And I would never like people to think, oh, God, he loves himself, which I do. But also there's a, there's a level, right? Yeah. I guess you just come from years of, you know, when we grow up as queer kids, we do have to squash and hide ourselves for such a long time. So I feel like them 10, maybe well. I'd say 10 years, because by the time I was 11, 12, I was a diva. <laughs> so I would say maybe that 10 years and I'm running around my estate, you know, pretending to be a lad and whatever. Really, like, there was just a queen inside that wanted to come out. And as soon as I could, like, just be that unapologetically, I think that lots of us are like it. We're just like, we live every single moment. Like, I just love us. You know what I mean? Like, just being surrounded by queer people always. I, I don't know. It just, I really feel I've stepped into my, I, I'm calling it my new era. <laughs> I mean, I, I relate fully on that. I think that uh, it, was, it took a lot longer. I was not 11. It took me to about 19, but you hide your, your living inwards. Right? Mm. I've spoken about so many people on this show, not just queer people, actually, but that aren't living to their fullest. And when mm-hmm. you get, have that explosion, it feels like that. Bam. An it's explosion. Like, let's go. It's like life is not a dress rehearsal at this point. So can we just live and like have these moments? I'm like, why am I going to do something to please others? And I hate that like I've done years of conforming, even in my adult years, you know, playing certain roles, I feel like art has definitely imitated life and it's made me more confident in who I am. Like, for example, at the Olivier's this year, when I was presenting an award, I gave you drama, I gave I you saw, gown. Like, yeah. <laughs> two, so two extra. Outfits. Two, two outfits. Two outfits, honey. A change. And like, but like, like rewind three years ago when I presented an award, I was, you know, I wouldn't feel comfortable to do, do that. I was like, you know, in a suit, you know, a little bit of glam. I think it was the first time I even like did a little bit of glam myself. And like, I mean, I did it myself. I didn't have my MUA, Jackie Society, who usually beats me now. So it's just takes time for you to step into it. And now I'm like, do you know what? If I want to wear that, if I want to be seen by that, I'm not conforming anymore. I just, I'm just going to live. I think getting older as well just gives less fucks, don't you? Yeah. Do you understand your power? Um... I think so, but maybe not fully. Maybe that's probably a good thing. I don't really 
think about power. Don't use that word. I like it though. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I think power is stepping out, not compromising, walking on a stage that normally wouldn't maybe encourage a flamboyant gown. Mm -hmm. That's power. You're stepping into. Yeah. Yeah, I think I do at times. Like, that's why I wanted to do it. I was like, the little voice in my head saying, like, maybe this is a bit extra. It's like, do you know what? Well, fuck it. Like, you've got to put yourself in a position sometimes where you feel a little bit like, ooh, ooh, I feel funny, fizzy, awkward about this. Like, maybe this is the exact reason as to why I should do it, oh, you know? Oh, that's so interesting. I, I, I hear that. The fear, feeling mm. that fear, feeling that I find that when I'm the most scared of something, I hear all those voices of doubt mm -hmm. that came from when I was repressing myself. I think that's what it is. And that, I refuse to give in to those bullies, refuse to give in to all of that societal pressure, mm -hmm. and then I just rebel against yeah, exactly. that and go, no, it's I'm just going to wear one gown, I'm, I'm going to wear two. two, how about that? <laughs> yeah, exactly, I think that's what it is, it's, just giving, it's like a fuck you society, it's like I'm in this space where it's very dominated by people that don't look like me, who don't act like me, or walk like me, or talk like me, so I'm like, if I'm going to come onto this stage, I'm going to gag you all, how about that? Do you think that there's a correlation between grown up working class and then coming out as queer? Because I think both have a quite a rebellious nature, actually. Yeah, I think so as well. And also with that, it's like my queerness and also my like back in the day. I was just one of the lads. I was running around on my council estate, playing knock a door run. <laughs> Sometimes I think like, what would them boys that I used to knock about with like Jordan, Matthew, like we were just... Lads, do you know what I mean? I'm sure they'd be like, late and you weren't much of a lad. But like, for me, I was just like a little rug rat, you know? And to think that, you know, all these years later that even sometimes I do catch myself, I'm like, ciao, what, what, what have you become? <laughs> do you think you were playing a role though then? I mean, it's, it's ironic really that you end up being an actor and you end up creating these characters because I think sometimes we do that when we're a queer kid and we grow up, I mean, I grew up very working class as well yeah. and I was the same I was playing a role and playing it very well playing it very very yes. well like, can you play straight been doing that thanks yes. darling <laughs> but maybe I think I was being myself but I was just a bit more of a you know a kind of how would you explain it like a, a lesser I didn't know anything else to compare it to so I didn't really know what camp or being fabulous or anything was until I moved to London I didn't see or properly or meet you know, queer people that were like, I was like, wow, I think that's what I am, you know? And then you kind of start to relearn everything. So moving to London, I mean, I moved to London at 20 was the scariest thing ever. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, running into that fear and it felt dangerous and I knew I had to do it, but I was terrified I wouldn't get on the tube. Mm -hmm. You moved to London at 11 years old. Yeah. 11 years old. Talk me through that because that's... Do you know what? Are you saying about the tube thing is so funny because I was so agoraphobic back in the day. I was so scared of being out and about and like clocked and, you know, we were quite out there as kids. So I moved here like 11, 12. We moved to this big Billy house for my first job that I did. Um, Billy Elliot the Musical? Heard Never it. heard of it. Never <laughs> heard of it. I'd like to say, I don't want to assume everyone knows the tea. Um, and we all lived in this big house and, you know, we'd be chaperoned around everywhere. And I remember it so well. Like my best friend, he's still my best friend to the day. Um, Jordan Vigna, hey, shout out. Um, he was he was just so out there. And I remember being shocked. The first time me and my mum actually saw him was at my audition for Sylvia Young's the theatre school I originally went to. And he walked down the corridor. He, like, flung his scarf around his neck. He had, like, one of them <laughs> queenie bags on one wrist. <laughs> yes. And, like, even at that moment, I looked at my mum and we kind of, not laughed at him, but we kind of, like, we were like, <gasps> like, yeah. oh, my God, we've never seen anything like that before. And then deep inside, I was like, I 
I'm obsessed with him. <laughs> I need to make him my best friend. And literally, I joined the school, and of course, I did. And John McCree. So them two were in the same year together. So like, we now are like this just unit, and like it's just giving queer power at this point. Like we surround ourselves with that. But back then, I would be, I would be like, guys, guys, like. No, like, don't be um camp on the tube. Like, don't be careful. People are looking. Like, I cared so much about what other people thought. I don't know why. I think it's because I wouldn't have been able to do that on my estate. For me, of course, well, I mean, what a what an absolute contrast to where you just come from. <laughs> now, all of a John and Jordan be like, Layton, can you please sit down? And I'm giving you splits and tricks. <laughs> and I obviously know both of those people. Yes, you do. So you end you've ended up in a sort of homosexual witch's coven <laughs> with these three really camp <laughs> camp queens. Yeah, I mean that that must be so powerful. It's so, it is so powerful to meet people that you can see not only yourself in but who you would like to be right absolutely so what was that feeling when you first met them oh, it was just perfect so I literally moved to London started the show and very early on I'm, I started Sylvia Youngs at the same time so I was going to theatre school with these amazing people that I loved um, by the way me and John McCree did not get on at first <laughs> I was so scared of him he literally it was like because him and his best friend was like oh who's this newbie trying to come in the clique and I was like you have no choice but to let me in because we're going to be baddies one day right. and here we are um, but literally it was just it was just like way off shoulders like I was in this space where I could literally be I could wear whatever I wanted I remember we'd running around the house wearing like the house mum's like high heels click clacking <laughs> about and I was on stage doing what I loved I didn't know I loved it until I just started doing it mm. and you know having that experience of being up there performing to thousands of people being a kid and having very little responsibility when it comes to life and bills and moments and yeah, adulting, sure. but having the responsibility of you just get to go and entertain and then you get to go have fun and live with people that you, you know, are like-minded with. So it was definitely the best start to kind of like a introduction to London and an introduction to kind of a working busy gal career. Yeah. I guess we should talk about introductions. John McRae is was the first Jamie. First Jamie. Jamie. Musical, was in Cruella. Disney. Killing it. Movie killing star. It, killing it. And yeah, all very talented um, people. Like, you know, we talk about chosen family a lot in the queer community, but I literally could not like echo it enough that it is so important to surround yourself with people that just back you. Like we back, we back each other. We talked about that show, Billy Elliot. You were the first black Billy Elliot. Mm-hmm. No one can ever take that away from you. And you got the role after a nationwide hunt. So everybody knew who you were before you even really stepped onto the stage. How did that feel? Do you know the great thing about that was, and in contrast to, you know, me then going on more than 10 years later to do similar vibe in Jamie, I did not have any of the pressure on my shoulders because I was so new. This is my first job. I didn't have a clue about the industry. Before I even moved to London, barely knew what the West End was. I remember going to see the show in the West End and I thought, well, this is shit. And <laughs> if I'm going to be doing the West End, my show better be fucking better than this. <laughs> I'm not going to quote what show it was. I've definitely said in interviews before, but I feel like I'm always dragging a certain person, so I'm not going to say yeah. it. But I was just like, this is boring. As obviously then I went to see like Wicked and stuff and I was like, okay, this is cute. Yeah. Like pick your shows to take kids to, to inspire them. Do you know what I'm saying? But um, because I was so young and naive, I did not have a clue of like the conversations people were having about me or like, why has he got two white parents? Why does he grow up to be a white? Like all of that casting, I'm really glad they 
I'm, I don't like to say took a gamble on me because I feel like I wasn't a gamble. Like I got the job. On a whole, nationwide hunt. On, yeah, because <laughs> I was right for the gig and exactly. talented. But I do think sometimes if I look back, I'm like, how and how and why? Because I literally couldn't do anything. Like I couldn't do ballet. I couldn't do tap. I couldn't do the necessities in order to get the job. But they must have seen something in me. And I cannot thank them enough because it literally it paved the way for everything that like, kind of happened afterwards. So looking back, I'm more proud. In the moment, I was just like, let's do the show. Billy Elliot, though, is such a working class story. And it actually mirrored, I'm just thinking about it now, it mirrored your life. Art imitating life, literally. Isn't that the and, wildest? And the wildest thing that happened as well. So when I was when I was doing the show, this sh- another show, I'm not sure if you guys have heard of it, called Beautiful People came up. I'm not here to list off my CV, but this is, has a real <laughs> is an yeah. element of the story to it. So this story about, so you've got Billy Elliot, you know, working class boy, wants to move to London to be a dancer. Literally, like, what happened to me? And then whilst I was, Doing Billy Elliot, I got to take like six weeks out to film a show called Beautiful People. It was about queer kid. Right. So this time I was playing a gay boy on screen. My first ever kind of like debut on television. And it was all about them wanting to move to London to live amongst the beautiful people. <laughs> so if you like collide them two stories, it literally is my story. Like that's why I said earlier, like my it was like art imitating life. These two jobs, well, they helped me to become the person that I kind of was. And they helped me out the closet, like... It was just the best, yeah. What was going through your parents' mind? I mean, you grew up in Bury. That must have been really... I mean, not only are they letting their child go, they're letting a a queer child that's going to go there and transform and become someone. Now, normally that happens around 18, 19, if Mm -hmm. you're lucky, but this was at 11. Yeah. What What was going on with them? I think they were just a bit, like, taken aback. So my mum was game like she kind of was just gonna let me do what I wanted to do and because none of us have had these experiences we're just like it's fun for everyone right like everyone gets a trip to London everyone gets to have a moment um they were really supportive I mean my dad he was there and not there like he he's very much so like afloat so like I kind of don't like to give him the credit (laughs) because like if you don't do enough to kind of like get me to the place where I need to be don't be going around I'm no trophy so Listen to this podcast here on that and call me. Anyway, so, but Mumsy, yeah, she put in the fucking work. She yeah. took me to them classes. Every week we'd be going to like Leeds to do this like summer school or like weekend class. And I'm talking like my mum couldn't drive. We, we just had to get on a thousand buses, trams. Like we put in the hours of work to kind of like get there. Um, so I think she just mega proud. Like whenever she sees me in the show, she's just like in tears, as you can imagine. Did you meet Elton? Oh, did I meet Elton? I um, <laughs> I actually went to dinner at Elton. No! I know. Why? I've we not will been back need to know everything. I've not been back since, so yeah. I kind of need to... Who's his assistant at this point? Like, darling, give me a call. <laughs> I want to come back. Um, definitely got whites from that Christmas um, card list as well. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was pretty surreal. What do like, you have when you go for dinner at Elton's? I can't even remember. It's probably just really too posh food for little, um, you know, council state laying. But <laughs> I enjoyed it and I jumped in and out the pool. They, they took all the Billy Elliot's kind of like, and the, you know, the whole kind of child principal team just to kind of have a good time because, you know. Am I right in thinking one of the other Billy Elliot's was a lesser known actor called Tom Holland? Tom who? never heard of him he's done nothing since do you know what actually like I've just come back from LA and I can't tell you how 
inspiring and proud it is to like look all of these billboards everywhere the first time i was there as well like you've got olivia coleman everywhere like you've got tom holland everywhere and these are people that you've kind of had moments with when you're a child and you see them now become like superstars like my friend um kida is in sex education it's just like john you know disney star cruella it's like i'm not one of them to kind of get like jelly and be like why is my face not up there i literally get so inspired i'm like like it's only a matter of time and i'm not that i'm I'm not doing this to be a Hollywood star. I'm literally doing this because it makes me happy and hopefully it will just continue. But obviously with our industry, you know, it, it, it breeds that, you know, the fame game or whatever. But yeah, I'm so happy and proud of him and everybody that's gone on to legendary How status. How do you not get sucked into that fame? Because I think that that <clears> is the, the plague. The plague of success within this industry is to look into the light, yeah. the light, the big shiny light that is fame. Do you know what? Really corny, but like I was in LA last week. Did I mention that, guys? <laughs> I was sat filming and I was working there for the second time this year. And, you know, humble beginnings, like we've said. So for me to be working and flown out to Los Angeles for the second time, I was just like, what is actually going on? And I was on my friend's balcony, um, just having a moment, drinking a little rosé wine with ice because I'm basic like that to hydrate. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Like, she lives on Sunset. Like, you can just see everything. Wow. And I was like, I had, this, I had a little cry and I was just like, how are we even here? Secondly, I'm really grateful that we're here. And thirdly, like, it's been slow and steady and I'm really grateful for that. Like, some people would be like, oh, it's not slow and steady. But like, I've not really gone like bam or bam like yeah. up like in a massive Hollywood movie or something like that yet but like for what for me I've started out and I, the ripple effects have just been like it's slow and steady it's the way. which I'm so grateful for so if ever that did happen it might happen it might not don't really care if it does obviously buzzing if it if it makes me happy and if I'm doing incredible work but once say it does happen it's not going to be a shock like I've been prepared for it you know so I will just handle it as I hope that I can and I will. And yeah, the fame game is a bit, it's a bit strange. I think that's why, and I've seen it, I've seen people that have taken 10 years to get their first taste of success, mm-hmm. major success. <clears throat> and I've seen people where it happens overnight. Yeah. Reality TV. And I'm always, I always look at that overnight success and it just makes me feel very scared for them. Yeah, I would be scared. I don't, well, it couldn't really happen to me now because if I got huge tomorrow, it's not like I've not kind of been yeah. in the streets. So it's, it wouldn't be shock horror. But for the, I've seen it and people that just go bang and I'm like, okay, they were not necessarily prepared. You know, they haven't had their media training, darlings. Let's, you know, <laughs> let's level it back. And also there's their, no, it's, it's no fault to them. Like yeah, when I was doing Billy Elliot and Beautiful People when I was like 13, 14, I thought I was that bitch. Like yeah. because I knew nothing else. I was this kid, I was like, girl, she's on TV. I'm a Western star. And like, I thought I was a baddie. And like, obviously now I'm like late and calm down. Like you're calm. But hum- like, I, I would like to think like just staying humble and just enjoying the moment for what it is and kind of pinching yourself. Like when I'm in these spaces and I'm in these places, I'm like, remind yourself, this is not normal. Do you so know what I mean? You mentioned then, you know, doing Beautiful People, doing Billy Elliot. And then what happens when that finishes and you go back to Barry? It was a lot. It was probably the hardest point and period in my life, honestly. So we, you know, we talk about these things, it seems all rosy, but like that was, it was really hard. Basically, I got expelled from my theatre school that I went to. Yeah, this is a tea. And I, I was just... 
I don't think I was that naughty, but I was just, you know, a boy taken from my estate. And I did go to like a normal school for like the first year. So the school was just like, Leighton's just a bit too much, basically. Like he needs to just behave a little bit more so we can't have him. And then my contract for Thriller Live finished because my voice broke. So basically it was a polite way of sacking me. So I got expelled. Michael Jackson. Oh my God. I got expelled. I got sacked for my second like kind of West End job. And I was shook because the reality was it's time to go home. And I'd had like two, three years chaperoned everywhere, living in these mansions. It was just crazy. And I had to go back home and uh, I don't ever want to talk my hometown down because now when I go back, I love it and I I explore and I'm not scared and I'm me. But back then, when you have this moment where you're you're told you're a star, you're a star, like you're amazing, da-da-da, and you have to go back to your your little estate, your normal school, it was not easy. Because I'd spread in my wings. I'd basically come out, basically. <clears throat> I was playing a gay character on TV, so that almost brought me out. And I was ba- I was out in London, but I was living this double life. So then I had to come back. All the pink clothes went back into the bottom of the wardrobe. And I was like, shit, back to the streets, quite literally. And there's this one boy that always used to try and tell me every day, that I wasn't a star and he or he would say, oh, you're not a star here anymore, Leighton, you're not a star here. And it really started to like dim my shine. Like I, I wasn't doing what I loved as well. I wasn't performing. I wasn't singing. Right. I was stuck. In I no couldn't. Man's land. Yeah, I couldn't do anything. That was the bubble literally popping. How did you get out of that mentally? And then Mentally, physically? I wasn't. I couldn't get out of it. I was stuck. Like I remember riding to school on my bike. Oh my God, I was such, <laughs> I was such a lad. I literally used to ride on my bike and just think, right, we're gonna get, we're gonna get back to London and rest in peace, Granddad. Like I love him to bits. I used to spend so much time with my Granddad at that point. He just really understood, and he was my like biggest fan. And I used to go back to his house almost every day, and we'd like write up letters, we'd we'd email people, we'd like we'd basically <laughs> tell our sub story. Be like, it doesn't sound like a sub story because uh, you know you're a big star. Why couldn't you help? But like, thank goodness for season two of Beautiful People. It brought me back and I was like, okay, this show has been a saviour anyway. It's going to bring me back to London and now it's art imitate life truly because when I get there, I'm not coming back. I'm going to do everything in my power. I'm going to find somewhere to live. I'm going to find a theatre school and shout out to Atali Conti who took me in because I'm so grateful. And I also then moved into a queer house, basically two lesbians, Maria and Val, loved them so much, became like my lesbian guardians they were like in their 50s i was like 14 years old and they were like come and live with us she worked she was a line producer on um, beautiful people and she just i think they were looking for like a young queer kid to kind of like help and you know bring in anyway and there i was we literally met in pinewood studios and they said just just come do you often feel there's something bigger than you because all of these i mean how old are you at this point i was maybe 14 14 so already that's like four lives crammed into one And yet there's these really important people and these important moments that have come Mm -hmm. at moments that it could have gone the other way. It really could have. I don't know what I would have done if I was, if I continued to kind of stay stuck there. I would have suppressed myself more and I would have, it would have been, yeah, really shit. I've spoken about this quite a bit about going back in the closet and I think it happens quite a lot. Um, And also about coming out several times. I came out 
at 18, moved away to Australia, became a go-go dancer. Yes, you better believe it. Yes, of course I believe that. (laughs) (laughs) And then I got back to Bristol and I almost felt like I had to go back in the closet. Mm -hmm. Now, people knew I was gay, Mm -hmm. but I couldn't be the gay man that I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my uniform, my straight, in inverted commas, uniform went back on. So that feeling of having to come out several times. And again, you mentioned it before about how you went to an award show recently in a mm. dress. It's this constant evolution, right? Of, of getting closer mm. to the, f- I guess, the fully realized version that you want to be. Yeah. And also the great thing about it is hopefully I'll never get there. Like I, I hope to continue to grow and evolve. Like it's never a finished product because then you're like, mm. oh, I'm inspired by this. I'm going to serve this. Right. And you know what I mean? And I don't like to put a bullet point all on anything because I think you know one day I might wake up and sometimes like look at me right now I'm just serving very cash serving very like off the shoulder lad you know baby you're sat down doing the splits (laughs) (laughs) I mean this is not the splits darling this is a half split if that (laughs) um but there's there's so many elements to us aren't there and you know it's so great now that we can explore and actually looking around the room in them spaces now I'm seeing so many other queer people doing the same and I'm like yes it's time like people are starting to step into their baddie bitch behavior and I'm here for that queerness the the very essence for me of queerness is the embodiment of change and it's Mm. being open and pushing forward change yeah and that never being I I always feel there's not a ceiling with my queerness yeah because it it makes me explore others Mm mm-hmm possibilities that I wanted before and it means that I can pivot and do whatever I want and constantly evolve I mean look at you now you are you're doing that like you've you exactly what you said and that's what I'm hoping to do as well like it's not you know I'm sure when you set out doing your work you didn't think you'd be doing the crazy things that you're doing right now do you know what I mean yeah I certainly did not I don't know about you I didn't think I would you know I'm now writing on tv shows as well as like performing in them (laughs) I'm like who do I think I am, you know? But do you put that down? You said something earlier that's really interesting to me because, it, it, again, it really strikes a chord with me that you don't get sucked into the, uh, the, the detail, the fame, the kind of the flies around the light. You chase the joy, the yes. feeling. Yeah, I, I like to think that I'm hopefully in a position now where I can chase the work that it just makes me, well, one, either inspired or happy and I want to do it because I want to and not just like, oh, God, and I know I'm in a privileged position to be able to say this, so, like, hear me out, but, like, you know, I'm just got to do this job to get the cash, you know? Yeah. Thank goodness, like, I've been working since I was 12, 13 years old that... At this point right now, that is the case. I mean, speak to me in a year. Once I've paid for my um, gaff and I've got a mortgage to pay, I might be doing anything y'all want me to do. So book me. Um, but extenders. <laughs> <laughs> but right now, I'm like, you know, I had this week of just not turning down jobs because, listen, they do not get offered to me constantly, but like turning down opportunities. I was like, um, do you know what? That would be a bag. That would be great money. Like when I speak to my mom, she's like, fucking hell it and do it and I'm like mum but like once I do something like that then a thousand other doors close and then I'm just that bitch and I was like I feel like I'm not better but more than that like I've I've got more to offer the world and you really have to be careful in this industry because you can do one thing and it's like oh girl you know well you you said earlier that you didn't you weren't fully aware of your power that's your power saying no your power is understanding the, the line that you need to go in, hmm. the squiggle you need to go in yeah. and going after it and saying no rather than just accepting and grabbing and taking. Yeah, if you say yes, yes, yes to everything and also it's, it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's actually not enough time, especially now 
not freelance, but like, you know, being self-employed and not having a contract that is like a, a theatre show that you do for, you know, six months. Like, you find yourself doing three, four, five, six right. different jobs a week. Like, I look at my diary, I'm like, child, like, where am I? <laughs> you're a high-frequency human, so there's only so much energy that you can give. And I mm-hmm. think that when you are like that, the ultimate power is to understand that I've only got so much of this mm. And I want to give the best to everyone. The best. That's why it's like, you know, if I say yes to these three, then I can give 100% yeah, of my energy. Totally. And then the rest of the time I can recoup and make sure I'm prepared for the next week's gigs, you know? So <sighs> yes, I understand my power now. Whoa. Thank you. Breakthrough. This we is love therapy. It. Oh my God, who needs therapy? Slash do have therapy. It also works. But yay, let's just chat more. <laughs> okay. We cannot not talk about Jamie. I know. Which I was, I've been so fortunate. Obviously, Dan Gillespie Sells, who wrote it, mm-hmm. is one of my dearest friends. Mm-hmm. And I was there right from the beginning, the kind of conception, walking around the marshes, walking our dogs, just talking about this idea. And it's been so special for me to see not only the people that have been in it and involved in it, but the people that have come to it and, and actually how it's changed the game, I think, in, in, in theatre. Because... The West End, I think, really, there's not a great deal of shows that aren't musical reviews mm-hmm. of pop stars. Mm-hmm. This is original music. It's an original story. So what was really interesting for me was when you played Jamie, I'm like, bam, that guy is meant to be, like, you are Jamie. Yeah, honestly, I I will never forget them them years of playing that part and it spanned over such a long time because of the pandemic etc and I'm really not sorry about it like I I had the best ride and you know I was there from the very beginning too I was like playing best friend because you know John who we've been talking about he was the original Jamie and I was there on press night in Sheffield I was there in London and I actually some people may or may not know this but I actually auditioned for it originally and I, I thought it was in the back like I, I actually thought Ooh. I thought it was a meeting and then your best friend gets the role oh my god Whoa. it's so sticky but so and I'm, do you know what I wouldn't change a thing like I was not ready to play that part that, that time I just was not together but I think they knew I was Jamie yeah. but when I stepped in they were like oh god like right now he just is the, the piece of the puzzle are not connecting then John who up until that point, I've been working so hard. He's so talented. So then he got to have this moment and I was just uber proud and supporting him with his best friend hat on. Like I yeah. just had no other hat on apart from best friend supporter. And then I think it was, it must've been the third time I saw it. I was sat in the audience and I was like, oh shit. <laughs> I was like, this is actually a bit of me. Yes. And I was like, don't know how I'm going to go about it, but it's like, it finally set in and I was like, okay, no, I know I auditioned for it originally, but like, I'm ready now. After that, no, I went on and played a couple of like lead roles in musicals. So then I'd had that experience yeah. as an adult. I never like to compare it to being a kid because it's very different. You know, eight times a week is different to doing it three, four times a week. So I was like, I think I could do it now. Like, this is like a whole two years later. So like, let me put the feelers out. And no joke, I still have the email now. The title of the subject is like, just putting it out there in the universe. And I basically put up an email to my agent and said, listen, just saw John again and I just can't shake this feeling that this role is like low-key made for me as well. <laughs> I was like, I really want to be seen because obviously it's not going to be doing it forever and I want to be the next one in. <laughs> I was like, I know I've got a contract right now and I'm supposed, I was about to sign myself away for like 16 months on this job where I was completely blown away that I was even playing this part. I can't say what, but then Jamie happened 
I got a call from the director and I was obviously gassed. I was like, oh my God, like, you know, this was quick. I can't believe this is happening. And he was like, do you want to come in for like a session in a few weeks and we'll, you know, get it together? I was like, I don't know whether you know this, but I'm literally like, I'm about to sign a contract. So if you want me to play Jamie next, i.e. in a few months, I mean, I'm happy to jump through hoops. And also like, thank you for reaching out. I'm so glad my agents contacted you, etc. And he was like, what? And I was like, oh, did, did you not hear anything? So I called my agent afterwards and said, guys, did you reach out? And they were like, oh, not yet. Like, we thought it was just something that we were going to do, you know, after your contract you're about to sign. And I was like, you're not going to believe this. Wow. So this is Friday, I think, something ridiculous. I remember I was in um, Liverpool, I remember it so well. I went into a studio, I started bashing out the songs. I said, I'll, I'll be there on Sunday. Dan's house around the piano where usually oh, we only kiki in these streets yeah. so I was like it was very uh, weird yeah. to be there working anyway I was at Daniel Spicel's house Jonathan Butler was there I mean poor John left because he's upstairs thinking this bitch is about to come for my part <laughs> in my house <laughs> in my fucking gaff so he left and I did, it's all just so close but so like crazy, crazy. The, the universe was just doing something and I called my agents on the Monday I was like guys I think I've, I've just booked Jamie and everybody's talking about Jamie so we're gonna have to get out of this this incredible moment by the way just in case anybody's listening who knows what that was and I was so grateful but like this was, this was the, the moment and you know what the uh, director and creator of the show that I was supposed to do came to see me in the mail and said I'm so proud of you. Well done. I mean, that takes, again, going back to your power, knowing you're still young, knowing that there's one opportunity here and everyone's saying this is the greatest opportunity. And yet you go after that feeling, that that role that is your feeling. That takes so much bravery, I think, but also so much self-awareness. Mm. I don't know what possessed me to kind of put it out there, but I just knew if I didn't get in then, I would have to wait for another boy to kind of take over. And I was just really proud to kind of just, you know, get up there. And I had doubts. I had, you know, I was like, can I actually do this? Like, I wasn't at this point a vocalist, I would say. I wouldn't say I was a singer. You were just born to play that role. You were so unbelievable. Thank you so much. I feel very lucky and proud to have kind of been... You know, also a catalyst for a lot of boys that didn't necessarily see that role as some, something they could do as well, um, which was a beautiful moment when they were having the open calls for, the, you know, my replacement. And there were just such a diverse group of boys because around the there. The boy that, that took over after, from after yeah, you was also yeah. a young black yeah. queer boy, right? Yeah. So it was, it's just... It's, that's amazing. It's nice to see a bit of change, yeah, you know? Yeah, completely. But as well as that, just this show speaks directly to queer youth. And they were really really there every step of the way like like you they come in costumes they come in their heels like at stage door with their letters of love and it it changed a lot of people's lives i know it sounds corny but like no i didn't but the show did and i was just happy to be a part of that i think that through the work that we do and the actions that we do kind of take mm. We can be accidental activists, and mm -hmm. I think that that's something that you have definitely been. Yeah, I don't like to activist. use the word activist. Actually, I no, like that. But accidental acti activist, I'm going to use that. You take it; it's yours. Thank you. But I also think it's something you've grabbed hold of in the last few years a lot more, using your voice, mm -hmm. using your platform, yeah, and speaking up for homophobia that's that happens, and also going up against just complete racist nonsense. Oh. It's so tiresome, I want to it? talk about a couple of years ago when you shared your experience of racial profiling in mm -hmm. Edinburgh. That was the first time I'd clearly ever experienced. I mean, I've experienced racism before, but like 
like profiling, i.e. like we thought you were this person, so we are denying you because of the colour of your skin. It was just so apparent and I was having such a good time and we were kicking and having fun. I was literally just going to see, I was going to see a play, like darling, yeah. I'm, I'm cultured darling, <laughs> just let me in, like come on and they were just so ridiculous and I got to those like oh um you can't come in I was like what I was like yeah we saw you trying to hop the fence the other week like you can't get in I was like no and I, th I was wearing a bucket hat at that point I think I'd just come back from somewhere and I was like I've literally just landed from wherever and I'm here so let me in anyway I got in and then all of a sudden security literally just come and like took me out and I tried to reason with them and I, I was like I've got the facts here you can either reason or I'm going to put you on blast and much to my nan's annoyance I did swear in my video but I basically did a video and I was like listen this has just happened I'm at Edinburgh Fringe Festival they've just racially profiled me so clearly and yeah it went a bit viral some people actually only know me from that video how did that because I think calling people out because I've done it a couple of times on Mainly through people in their treatment to sink the pink. It's happened a couple of times, you know, mm -hmm. when we've been at festivals and yeah. stuff back in the day. And people think it's an easy thing to do. Just, I'm just calling you out. But no, it's, it's not. It's the repercussions, right? It's scary. When I woke up the next day to every single news outlet, like The Guardian, The Telegraph, The Daily Mail, all sharing this video. And the the wording of some of them as well, actor thinks he was. Or actor, like, some of them were not even, like, to the point. And uh, my poor publicist, bless her, she was like what is going on? And I was like, I actually don't even need to comment. Like, what I said in that video, I said what I said. So there's no point in me even speaking on it. If anything, I want the people from the top to speak on it. This was very much so before Black Lives Matter as well. So people weren't really comfortable about talking about race back then. Even I wasn't too heavily comfortable on talking about race. This is the first time I've probably done it. So I think if something like that happened now, it would be a different story. But because that was a few years ago, it's a bit like, oh, oh, you know, yeah. never mind. And I really wanted some change. I remember sending emails and saying, like, what are you doing to make sure this doesn't happen again? And I basically hit brick walls and I thought, do you know what? What else can I do? I've just got to keep living and doing and being. But it was a bit shitty, yeah. But you continue to use your voice, I think, for change. Mm -hmm. You do a lot of, you know, you do a lot of great work of charity. Mm -hmm. Stonewall. Oh, I love them. And I feel that you're trying to inform a future generation of queer kids, of kids from backgrounds that necessarily don't get opportunities, mm -hmm. of black kids. Mm -hmm. I think that that is something that I can see in your work very clearly. How important is that to you? And what's the future of that work look like to you? Do you know what? I do need to get into more of this work. But at times I think, oh God, like, am I doing enough? Because I'm on this kind of, I don't want to say pedestal, but like, you know, people might be looking up to me. So I want to continue and I want to do more. And, you know, when I have gone into schools in the past for Stonewall and diversity role models um, who do the same thing, they kind of put you out there and you just, you literally have to speak to these kids. And it's the most scariest, daunting thing. I'm not sure if you've done it before at like a school. And they're pretty savage. Like school kids are scary and it takes you back as well to being yeah. a kid. So what's next for Leighton Williams? what is next I actually love getting asked this question when I've actually got things on because sometimes <laughs> as an actor you're like you know I'm just doing me just you know um, and basically it means you're not booked but I am darling I'm booked and I'm about to 
basically do a new reboot of a show called Bad Education, if anybody knows of that. Um, Jack Whitehall. With Jack Whitehall. Yeah. And he has trusted me and another actor, Charlie Wernham, to kind of take over and take the reins on the show now. So it's basically going to be led by myself with a whole new group of kids. So I get my own class. And Charlie is also coming back with his class. And we're doing a reunion episode. And then I kind of take over and... I'm I'm re- I'm really that's shitting amazing. it. Amazing. Yeah, I've like, actually not talked amazing. about it properly yet, but I'm I'm so excited. But there's a lot of pressure because it, it was ten years ago. Like lots of people kind of grew up there, and now they're like you know my age. Right. And I was like eighteen, nineteen when I was first working on that show. I think I finished working on it when I was twenty-one, playing a kid, and now I get to go back and hopefully revolutionize the the vibe because it's going to be obviously very different i'm not yeah. jack whitehall <laughs> i'm yeah. no posh white boy so yeah. it's going to be a different vibe but i'm so excited for the challenge amazing well i cannot wait for that thank you i've loved speaking to you it's been amazing Same. i could carry on and on and on but i feel like we've definitely hit the end you got the content that's a wrap Mwah. <laughs>